Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, this is Ibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. I'm also the host of Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight, and I'm the editor of the anthology, which you should run out and buy, called Moms Don't Have Time to, a quarantine anthology. All proceeds of that book go to COVID-19 vaccine research. And I'm the editor-in-chief of Moms Don't Have Time to Write, a new publication on Medium, and we're accepting submissions, so please send your personal essays there. And if all that isn't enough, you can follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens, and my website is zibbyowens.com. Okay, now back to this amazing podcast. Sarah Shepard is the number one New York Times bestselling author of the Pretty Little Liar series, the Lion Game series, the Heiresses, the Elizas, the Perfectionist series, Reputation, and now her latest book, Safe in My Arms. We did this event as a part of Penguin Bookshop, and we had so much fun doing this to launch her book together, so I thought you would all like to hear it. There's also a tiny little clip of us, not so tiny, maybe 10 minutes on GMA Book Club's Instagram account at GMA Book Club. And you can go there and watch us live as well. Listen in. Hi, Sarah. I'm so Hi. glad we're doing this again. I'm so excited to be chatting with you. Congratulations on Pub Day for Safe in My Arms. Oh my gosh, thank you. So Sarah, for those people who don't know anything about this book, which obviously is far from your first, but definitely, <laughs> obviously your most recent, what is Safe in My Arms about? And what inspired you to write this book? And like, where can we get a backpack that says a novel sort of written like this? <laughs> right. The coolest thing ever. Yeah, I want the backpack. So the book is about, it's about three moms who are sort of newcomers to this area. It's very exclusive, but made up 
totally made up area in California. I find that it's better for that. I make up settings because then people can't be like, that's my town. And how are you, why are you like saying these things about my town or whatever? So it's completely fictitious place. And they sort of become unlikely friends and are keeping some secrets from the community that are, you know, all very kind of poignant about, you know, have something to do with sort of motherhood and, and how they came to be mothers. They sort of unwittingly kind of get involved in this scandal and are blamed for this event that happens. And I don't want to give too much away. And mostly it's just kind of unraveling what that is and sort of the secrets of this community and of the school. And I feel like I can't say too much more <laughs> or I will, or I will spoil something. I was inspired to write it. It's funny. This book started out as, and like the original title of the word document was daycare horror. <laughs> and it was, it was a very different story. And it was mostly, you know, I was trying to think of book ideas and I was sort of like, let's think of the worst case scenario of like things that could happen to your children. And I was doing all this reading about daycares in which, you know, a child unfortunately passes away in their care. And that was sort of, that's not what this book is about. <laughs> this is, I, I moved away from that. I didn't write. <laughs> yeah. That is the book I did not write. But those char- the characters that are in this book sort of came from that book. And I didn't get honestly that far of this sort of, it was more originally kind of about this awful thing that happens and, and a community trying to kind of figure out how that happened and, and how that could have happened. And then I, my editor wisely said, I don't know if we want to like <laughs> things happening to children. And I'm like, you know what? I understand that, but it sort of, it sort of came out of that. It was the kind of worst case scenarios. And like, as a young or a, I'm not a young mother as a mother to young children. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, it kind of, it kind of evolved from there as books do. They're always evolving. Well, it was, it was great that you, you sort of set the scene at this crazy, well, now toned down post recession ish time, right. At the school. Right. And you sort of poke fun at the things that are no longer there, like all the catering and, you know, the past hors d'oeuvres and that this is sort of toned down for them. And yet here are these three new moms sort of sneaking Baileys in the corner, you know, and I was like, should I have been doing that? Like, I never, (laughs) like, if there's wine available, fine. But like spiking my drink from my purse, that's like one step. I don't know. Maybe they had a lot more fun, but. (laughs) Well, I mean, the one mom brings it just because she's, really nervous about joining this group of people. So it doesn't come from like, I want to be super fun, like the super fun parent. Although I feel like I've known those people too. Though never to that extent. I've never been at a school event where, especially in the morning where somebody- Exactly. I mean, it's not even a cocktail party. I once went to a school, like it was in the library at my kid's school. I probably shouldn't even say this. And this is not about you, but I get there and like, I ran over to the wine station and somebody was, this other mom was there and she was like, is this like a nightly occurrence for you? And I was like, what? No, we're at like a cocktail party. What are you talking? What else am I supposed to do? Like, anyway, so I appreciated that. I also appreciated how when Lauren is feeling like she's losing her mind, she has her (laughs) child, Matthew and her husband, Graham. And Graham is like, oh, is turning stuff around so that she thinks she's nuts, which I think every mother has sort of, or parent has felt at one time or another, how she's just like, I've had it with everything being attributed to mom brain. Like it is, you know, 
over and over. Like, tell me a little bit about that. I mean, that definitely was something I experienced, especially with my first child. Just, and and I was kind of making myself like think, you know, second guessing myself and my decisions and like my emotions and all that. And, and is it, you know, forgetfulness and taking people's reactions to thing, like blowing it up and sort of, is this, is this like hormones? This is my brain. And then I kind of stepped back and looked at it later and thought, no, not, not completely. <laughs> and I think that's like the thing that's just so murky about being a parent, but especially being a mom is that you like, there are these kind of constructs set up of like, this is kind of, you know, Oh, you know, of course, everybody's just tired and forgetful. And like, you know, it's not, it's not us. It's you, you're, you know, you just have to maybe, I don't know. It's just kind of very kind of wanted to explore that a little bit. And at the same time, she is overtired. Like it is a real thing. Like, you know, you are overtired and you're thrown into this completely new experience of having a child and like not knowing what that is and not knowing if you're doing it right. And, and I think that's another sort of big theme, uh, kind of undercurrent of this, of this mystery is that, and this thriller is that these neither, all three of these moms, like feel like they're not doing it right, you know, and nobody really knows that they're doing it right. But I feel like, yeah, a mom brain, mom brain definitely (laughs) is like a, it's a little bit of a source subject for me. And it wasn't really with my second kid because then I was just like, no, this isn't, I know I can distinguish, you know, but with the first, I, I felt like I was, it's just like a little bit of gaslighting, you know? So, you know, gaslighting is always a fun little kind of plot twist to throw into, into any, any novel. So. So wait, I have to hear about how you structured. I know you said some of these characters were from the Daycare horror, horror, which like will keep me up tonight just even thinking about. But you had so many different, like I know it's three moms, but then you have the care, the daycare director and her assistant, and then everybody's kind of extended family and their kids, and all there are a lot of characters that you develop very quickly. So what was the secret behind that? How did you do that? Did you like draw a chart to whose kid is who and the names and what their main thing was? Cause everybody has some thing, right? Each right. like a big thing, right? So how did you go like about an issue that? they're dealing with? Um, I don't know. I, I usually can keep characters straight in my head pretty well. I mean, also I went through a lot of drafts. I mean, obviously it was probably not as clear in the first draft as it was in like the fifth draft of this book. But even writing any of my other books or any of my other series, I, I usually have a lot of characters. I usually just get into worlds that there are just a lot of people. And sometimes people do say like, there are so many characters in this book, any book that I write. But it probably comes from the original series that I wrote, Pretty Little Liars, where there were four main characters they each had a thing and they each had a very distinct personality and, you know, it was just, you know, working on that. And I got kind of used to, to working with multiple characters and then sort of building out who their families were and, and all that stuff. I, I'm sure I kept some sort of chart. I don't know where that chart is now, but I usually have a lot of Word documents and scribbles on pieces of paper of like who connects to who and like, you know, how it all makes sense and put notes in the, in the document itself. So 
so yeah, I mean, I think it was, it was keeping some of it in my head, but yeah, I definitely kind of took notes on kind of how it all fit together. I was but it's a big how, world. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big world. So can we talk about like Andrea's issue, if you will, or her, what makes her unique? Yeah. Or is that like yeah. a plot twist? I'm like so mindful of not ruining no, it. No, I don't think it's a plot twist. It's no, I don't think like, so central to who she is, right? Sure. So, yeah. And you do it in a really interesting way. And I feel like it's not too far along. So I was hoping I could just- No, read it's probably her first chapter. Okay. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. I don't know, page 40-ish or something. So can I, can I read this paragraph? Is that okay? Yeah. Okay. Okay. You write, she hurried into the bathroom. At the mirror, she leaned in close and inspected the lines on her face and the nakedness of her features. A swipe of lipstick here, a blot of concealer there. Hang on, let me put on my face for the day, her mother Cynthia used to say. When she was a teenager, Cynthia's boudoir became Andrea's favorite guilty pleasure, beholding her mom's giant vanity of colors, labels, scents, all those private hours of slathering and puffing and brushing, and then hastily wiping, what, hastily wiping it all off when she heard her mother's key in the door down the long, long hall. Because back then, Andrea wasn't a her in her mother's eyes. Andrea was her mother's son. Da-da-da. <laughs> <laughs> Which I had gotten no glimpses of until that sentence. So then you like... Oh, wow. I, okay. I had no idea. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm like not the best reader or something. I don't know. No. I, find, I find thrillers are continually surprising me. Like I'm... I don't know. I, but so anyway, I just like didn't pick up on that until then. So I found it to be very powerful. Wow. No, that's interesting. That's good. I, I, you know, I think there was like tiny hints in the scene where they're all together, but in the very beginning, but like nothing very heavy handed. And I think we sort of went back and forth on how much, you know, how observant, because it's sort of a, the first chapter where they're all together is sort of this omniscient narrator. So you don't, it's just sort of looking at everything objectively and, you know, not getting a lot of internal thoughts from each of the characters. So I, I don't think that's so out of, yeah, you're not a bad reader for, for not picking up on that. Yeah. But at the same time, it's not really a secret. It's not, right. you know, but that is a bit why Andrea brought the Baileys to the, to the breakfast. I found. Well, I don't know so what was our question. No, no, <laughs> I was going to say, like, I found it super interesting to read about a mom <laughs> whose transition you detailed, you know, quite, you detailed in quite a detailed way, but you had, you know, the 12 months and the hormones and this and that, and also all the interpersonal issues it brought up within her family, his, her, her family, yeah. Yeah. especially coming from this big deal, real estate honcho, powerful New York family, and this very, you know, proper mom and with her brother. And then here she is taking off to the West coast and starting over from scratch and trying to pretend to be someone she's not and how you ended up depicting her character and how she handled everything. So I was wondering about creating that particular type of mom. And if you did research into, and then, because of course, you, then you have her blogging about microaggressions and all things like that. So yeah. where did, did that come from a certain, did you get informed by a somebody you knew, or was that a compilation of a lot of research or how did that come about? Yeah, it was both. I feel like I follow a few trans women on Instagram or, or parents who have transitioned actually either, you know, male to female or female to male and have found it always an interesting look at parenthood. And, and obviously 
kind of changes, not what sort of parent you are at all, but sort of how, you know, the world is seeing you and what that means. And I just thought it was, would be a really interesting character to explore. And, you know, what sort of, what does that mean within the community? How does that mean as a parent? And, and the, the thing that like Andrea's son kind of is like, well, I just see you as my parent. Like, you know, it's, and I did a lot of research on that. I, I did, I read a lot of books and talk to people on Instagram, but then I also had a really great sensitivity reader who really informed me about certain things that I did not even think about that, you know, would be triggering to somebody or a person would be maybe sensitive about and, you know, sort of to play up certain moments and and other things like that. So, you know, it was like at the early draft, it was more of a secret that Andrew was trying to keep, not really from the community, but just like even trying to keep from her mom. And then I kind of thought about that and I didn't want it to seem shameful, even though the family, she comes from this like super masculine dad and brother and, you know, they are not aware, but that's only because her mom was like, you can't tell like, they are, they are not to know, <laughs> but I didn't, you know, even though they sort of have their own opinions about it, I didn't want it to be about any kind of shame. I, I wanted it to be about other things in Andrea's life besides this, you know, new journey that she's going on where she really does feel like so much better <laughs> about herself. And, but yeah, no, I, I, it was, it was really interesting. It was a lot of reading and a lot of just making sure that the details were Correct. And I was doing it in a, in a sensitive way. And I think that's, you know, something that's, that's really great. That's come out of publishing in the last 10 or so years is that like, you know, these, these voices that authors want, you know, we all want to explore people who are not like us all the time because that sometimes gets boring, but we also want to make sure that we're sort of doing justice to their experience and like, you know, kind of telling it in a way that isn't just completely imagined and we have really no idea what they're going through and all of that. So that is like the long answer. Andrew was a great, I just doing all that research and sort of thinking about Andrew was like, it was a really, they were all really fun characters because they all are kind of dealing with very different issues and pretty intense pasts and, you know, secrets and all of that all that fun stuff. So hopefully I would love to hear for, from some trans readers, you know, I've heard a little bit on Instagram saying like, I love that there was this sort of character. And like, that's, you know, years ago when I had, when I, when Emily was my character in Pretty the Liars and she is, you know, a teenager and realizing that she's gay, like some, I have heard from readers who have said, you know, that was the first, you know, teen gay character that I've that I came upon as a teen reader. And like, that was a really powerful thing to me. So for me, you know, so, so it's, or even if somebody thinks I didn't get it right, like, I just, I would like to hear either way. So, but yeah, it was, it was a, it's a little scary, you know, to write somebody who's not totally like you, but (laughs) hopefully I, I kind of spoke to enough people and got enough of the authentic kind of experience. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed, be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything. It might be time to work on those things, and I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11. And it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help And I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off, $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy. And you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from, so you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash moms don't have time today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash moms don't have time. And so were you working on this during the pandemic? Is that when this was written or was it before? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I think a draft, I think I wrote a draft. That's actually not true. I, I wrote a draft before it all happened and I kind of turned it in. I don't know. I would say like January, 2020. I can't remember quite the timeline, but I got notes back maybe like Well, first of all, I thought publishing was just going to shut down. Like, I was just like, who's going to read books anymore? Like, why are we even doing this? The world is crumbling. So I just was like, am I, is this book ever going to see the light of day? I mean, I had no idea, but then people kept reading. So that was great. (laughs) Um, And my editor got back to me and then I had to do revision of it. And it was not... I mean, I wrote an essay for you actually that made it into the anthology right around that time that I probably got revisions back and it was really hard to write anything. (laughs) And I, you know, at least I had a draft. I think it would be harder to write something from scratch because at least I had a draft to work from and editor's notes and like, you know, but I think to, to have written something like completely from scratch, I don't think I could have done it. You know, it's only this past year that I have gotten kind of more into, like I have been able to write, you know, from first draft kind of things again, but like, oh my gosh, like that was a rough time, (laughs) but yeah, somehow I made it happen. Well, Well, you wrote many things. You have written many, many things over this. I mean, that's, I don't write fiction. I couldn't like figure out a complicated 
intense thriller with multiple characters. I like to just write about my life and what's happening. Yeah, but you were a memoir. That's how I process stuff, you know? Yeah, right, so right. It's, it all helped me. Yeah. Um, but, but your essay, so it was in this anthology, Moms Don't Have Time to, a quarantine anthology. And just so people know, Sarah's essay is called These Days, I'm Running to Stay Sane. Um, <laughs> maybe I could just read a paragraph of that too. Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, and it's all about you're running. And you said, I put on my shoes and slide headphones in my ears. If it's cold, I add a hat, sometimes with a pom-pom on it, which bobs as I move, reminding me that it's still there. My gloves are sometimes high-tech ones from New Balance, but are just as often woolen mittens from Anthropology or gloves so old the fingertips are fraying away. I'm not the runner who's in fashion or whose clothes even remotely match. I sweat a lot and my skin gets unattractively red and I'm not in neon-colored trendy sneakers, but utilitarian black men's shoes. They're an update of an update of an update of a running shoe I was specifically measured for at a super runner shop on 24th Street and 3rd Avenue in New York City in 1997. I have been wearing the same brand and makeup sneakers, more or less, for 23 years. That's how long I've been a runner. (laughs) And then, of course, you go on from there. And how that running is, like, helping you cope. You're like, now I've lost track of what weeks, what week. Yeah. You're like, I'm not breaking any speed records. I'm barely listening to audiobooks. And, you know, you said, now every time I step outside and let me be clear, my running path keeps a safe distance from people. It isn't just my workout for the day. It's a valuable life-saving routine. It's a meditation. It's an escape. (laughs) So are you- like my only time out. Yeah. (laughs) Are you still running? Like, did that that end up getting you through? And is that still how you cope? Yeah. I mean, it's not- I don't panic anymore. I mean, it used to be every run I would go on, I just panic. I don't know if I was even really able, whatever audiobook I was listening to in those first few months, like, I don't think I remembered, like, absorbed the plot at all. I might have even switched to podcasts. I really, or, or but, but even then, like, I don't know. I don't remember. So now I'm, I'm not as panicked, but yeah, I still run. I mean, it still is very much my, you know, sometimes I run and figure out, plot stuff. And then I will write it in my, I wish I had my phone up here. I I should post a picture of it on Instagram where like my notes, I will write notes sometimes about something I'm working on. And I look back at them later, much, much later. And and I will still make sense of them, but I show them to anybody else. They're just like, what? Things are spelled wrong. You know, like it's just, I'm really sweaty and trying trying to type. And and sometimes I will just, yeah. Oh, go ahead. You need to voice dictate, you know? You, to- you know, I was just thinking that, like, why I don't do that. I have headphones on. No, I probably still could. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, experiment next time. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I feel like pe- neighbors, I always run the same roads and I feel like neighbors, I'm already the person who, wherever I go, it's usually a school event. People, and they have not met me before. They're like, oh, you're the one that runs. And I'm like, yeah, that's... So me also screaming into my phone about... <laughs> okay, fine, yeah. Okay, the yeah. murder should happen in chapter yeah. 15. And so, yeah, I mean... You know what? I take it back. I take it back. Especially well, I don't know. I mean, no, it was no. pretty... I take it back. <laughs> no, forget it. Forget I said a word. No, don't do that. Definitely don't do that. <laughs> but it was a great... It was great to write that essay. That's probably the only piece of writing... I did for a while and it was very therapeutic to write that because it was sort of like, oh my God, what, what, what is happening? And it was, yeah. I mean, years ago, I don't do it so much anymore, but writing for me was just a way to get my feelings out and, and sort of to understand what I was feeling and what I, cause often I didn't even know why I was angry or why I was upset or whatever. And, and if I wrote it down, I could kind of work it out. And that's what that 
as they very much felt like. So. Definitely a lot cheaper and less time. Yeah. Actually finding and going to a therapist. So there you go. Yeah. And it often works for me. It works, but I like writing anyway. So, I mean, I guess if you don't like writing, maybe it's not huh. as useful. So I, what do you think it is about thrillers and having something sort of the worst thing you can imagine? Like the idea that you were sitting there thinking like, what's the worst thing? That could <laughs> like, And that, oh, I've actually gone too far this time. Do you know right, I mean? right. So what do you think it is? What appeals to you about that? Why do you want to explore it? Is it like from a place of just anxiety about life and like you feel like you can sort of handle it through imagining the worst and kind of living that out and then realizing actually we're all still here and it's okay? Or do you think it's like, is there some secrets that you've had to harbor your whole life that are sort of corrosive and are eating away at you or so you're exploring it? I don't know. I'm just like hypothesizing. <laughs> no, I like these suggestions. I think the first thing you said is, is pretty spot on. I mean, I think that's why people like true crime as well and hearing about sort of the worst possible things, you know, these grisly murders or whatever, you can kind of live vicariously and almost feel like, well, if it happened to me, I'm ready, you know, <laughs> for like ready to get dismembered in a, in a shed <laughs> or whatever. But yeah, I mean, especially these, some of these ones about, about parenting and terrible things happening, you know, while also trying to parent or just, or in your community or whatever, like, yeah, I mean, I, I, I they are sort of trying to live through the worst possible thing. And then the thing about secrets, I mean, one of the, one, something I remember my mom saying to me when I was like maybe 10 or something was, you know, there's a lot I I can forgive. (laughs) It's very dramatic. (laughs) There's a lot I can forgive, but I just cannot forgive keeping secrets. And it just, it was like, huh. And, you know, I don't, I don't think she had like major secrets in her life, but I think she had, she's raising two girls and we all know, you know, preteen teenage girls keep a lot to themselves and have a whole private internal life that you don't know about. And I did, I'm sure everybody did. And I think she was just trying to preempt that of like, you know, I'm going to be proactive about this and kind of like, if I'm going to, I'm going to like put it in your brain that you should tell me things. But I, but I, from there, I just thought secrets were so interesting. And I, I, trying to figure out like what sorts of secrets other people were keeping. And yeah, it's always been intriguing because everybody has a secret. I mean, whether it's a big one or a small one or something in between, I mean, we're all have this sort of private life that we don't show other people. And, um, it has definitely been a theme that has run through every book I've written, but I think most books have, you know, a little bit of a secret to them you know, a character feels and doesn't reveal. And then sometimes it comes out in not a great way, or sometimes it doesn't. So, so yeah, but you know, it's, and thrillers, the other thing that's fun about writing a thriller is that it's sort of a puzzle, you know, and I've, I've written not very many, maybe only one novel that is not a thriller. Although I was a ghost writer for a long time. So I sort of ghost wrote other things that were not a thriller, but, but it's really fun to figure out the steps and the misleads and like, kind of when you plot those twists and when you, you know, reveal certain things. And, and I, and I really like that part of writing kind of putting that puzzle together and when, especially when it all falls into place, when it doesn't fall into place and, you know, and I've struggled with drafts, I'm writing another book now that 
I think things have fallen into place, but for a long time I was really struggling with like, Oh my God, I don't think the thing that I plotted is going to work. It just isn't very interesting. And then, you know, I kind of like poked at it for a long time and eventually it did fall into place, but it's, it's so satisfying then because you're just like, Oh, okay. This is something that I, <laughs> that I think people aren't going to see coming. And yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of, what's your new book about? So my new book is yet a bit again about mothers, but it's about sort of an intentional community where they, these moms are sort of living in the desert and sort of raising their children all together. And it is this beautiful situation, but this one woman who kind of comes into the community, she's got some baggage, she's got a big secret and she gets there and sort of has this huge surprise of somebody in her life that she doesn't want to be there is there. And then it's kind of like, who planned that? Like, how did this, how did this happen? It's the worst possible thing. Um, it's the worst possible thing. So when I start thinking about all the things, cause that's my mind goes there immediately, right? Like we're sitting by the pool and like, we're all fine, but I'm like, but what if, what if the dog walks right there? Would I jump and save the dog? Would the I, know. Dog, and I go through this. I waste so much time imagining I the work. I don't know why. Anyway, from now on, maybe I'm just going to send you my- <laughs> Send me um, all your worst case scenarios. Yeah, you could just I'll make just... A, a whole book around them. Why not? Now they're right. just being wasted, you know? Right, right. I think we all do. I, yeah. <laughs> I'm always like, if I can't find my phone, I'm always like, it's gone. It's just, I mean, even the mi- most minor things, I'm like, it's gone. I'm oh my God, oh my God. Like, meanwhile, it's so easy to like update a phone these days, but even my wallet, like every, anything I can't find, I'm like, it's gone forever. How is this going to inconvenience me? But then, yeah, it goes up to- the worst I possible thing with uh, my car keys all the time. Like I'm not going to be able to find it. We're going to be stuck. Yeah. We're going to be stuck. Um, like yeah, what, all that. It's so it's just so ridiculous. But yeah, anyway. or I can't find my car in a parking lot. Well, it's I'm never going to find it. It's cool. yeah. Someone is calling. Never find my car in a parking lot. I've started now. Like I always have to take a picture of where I parked. I'm like, what? I'm, I'm like, <laughs> what's going to happen? I'm in my 40s. By the time I get to my 70s, like I won't be able to like find the bathroom. I don't know. That's really smart, though. If I'm in a really big parking lot, I will text myself like the you know parking area. But taking a picture is smart too. I, I even lose my car in like a Target parking lot. It's yeah, no, I I'm just where. Yeah. yeah. But maybe even, yeah. Taking a picture of the cars think, that are next to it. Yeah. That's, I that's, did at one point consult someone cause I thought I was like losing my mind and I had no memory, <laughs> but it turns out that if you are like distracted thinking about other things, you just don't actually imprint those memories to begin with. So it's not yeah. like, yeah, it's, it's like, it didn't even happen. So right. I can believe that. Yeah. Cause I come out of target with my kids and I'm like, where? And they're like, you always forget. And I'm, like, I'm sorry. <laughs> Anyway, now, of course, I've like gone over our little time here. I knew this was going to happen. Sarah, thank you so much for everybody. Again, Safe in My Arms by Sarah Shepard. And then if you happen to want my anthology, her essay is in this as well. Moms don't have time to. Oh, and many other good essays. Great. And and among some other ones. But anyway, Safe in My Arms, Sarah Shepard. Go get it. Thank you. All right. Good night, everybody. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. 
Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.